Greetings, my paranormal patrons. This is the Monstrous Feminine Podcast, Patreon, a space where horrible humans talk a little bit more about horror. My name is Taya, and I'm joined by my cousin, Mila, Louisa, and Zeva. And this is our bonus episode for Pride Month and our last episode of Season 2. These episodes are usually reserved for our May Queens here on Patreon, but as it's Pride Month and we're feeling festive, we decided to open up to all of our listeners. For our May Queens, we will release an extended version of this conversation exclusive to all of you. If you don't already pledge to our Patreon, then this can act as a little taste of the content we provide. Usually we discuss an extra film, sometimes we have little behind-the-scenes chats, and we've even done an interview. For £1 a month, you gain access to our Discord. For £3 a month, you get to hear a cut discussion for our main episodes. And for £5 a month, you get all that, plus a bonus episode. As we stated on our Instagram, at the Monstrous Feminine Podcast, all of our earnings from the month of June Patreon will be donated to Reproductive Justice Networks and Mutual Aid Funds because we are disgusted with the United States Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. At the Monstrous Feminine Podcast, we firmly believe in reproductive rights. Our podcast is based upon feminist film theory, and we are thankful to have this platform to dissect, discuss, and watch horror films from an intersectional feminist framework. Like in horror, our bodies are too frequently used as pawns in politics. Our bodies, our screams, our blood belongs to us. The Coven supports the collective of birthing people worldwide. We will fight this together. In this episode, we are covering the 2022 Netflix vampire flick, First Kill, created by Victoria Schwab. In this drama, teenage vampire Juliet falls in love with fellow student Calliope. However, this is a story of star-crossed lovers, as Juliet is a vampire born to a prestigious matriarchal bloodline called Legacy Vampires, who are direct descendants of Lilith. And Calliope is from a well-respected family of monster hunters who work for an ancient organization known as the Guardian Guild. Both teens are being pressured by their families to make their first kill. For Juliet, this would involve completing her prepubescent bodily transformation and embracing her place in her royal vampire lineage. For Calliope, this would mean proving her abilities and taking her rightful place alongside her siblings in the fight against monsters. Who are you, Calliope? Where'd you come from? You're nothing like the monsters I grew up hating. I just want to live my life. Can't be together. It won't work. I've forbidden you from seeing her. We're not supposed to be. I know my feelings for you are real. Juliet and every legacy in Savannah dies tonight. Run now! My catch-up was, in this series, Ben, Juliet's best friend, discovers that she's a vampire. I think he throws up, but other than that, he's, like, pretty on board with it. And I wanted to know... He's violently sick, but he's totally cool. Well, I mean, like, sure. You know? I've probably been sick for less. I wanted to know if one of you guys found out that like your best friend was a vampire, what would your immediate response be? I was talking to my friends about this because we were watching this show together and we all decided that like, if you haven't murdered me by now, I'm not worried about it. Like you had so many opportunities to do nefarious things. If I found out you were killing other people, like that would be much to unpack. But for the most part, like I wouldn't feel like betrayed, you know, necessarily. Like it was lies by omission really. Which is okay with you. Noted. It's Safe not bizarre, okay, but, but I think <laughs> it can be worked through. Like, similar to cheating. Like, some people can't get over cheating. I don't know that that's the same. What? No, you lost me. I was with you until that point. But I would understand why you'd keep vampirism a secret. I don't think I would care. I think, like, in this really? case... I pegged you for someone who would have the worst reaction to it. Because you don't like superstitious stuff. And you like to be law-abiding. <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't think I would care that much. I think I would understand why they wouldn't tell me that because I would just assume it was like for my own safety to not walk around knowing people are vampires. Because I would just assume that like the government would bust up in their house and wouldn't use them as like military weapons or something. I understand why you didn't tell me like how do you eat? I would be more curious about that and like how they walk in the daylight. I would like want to know more about like legacy vampires and all that it entailed. You would want to know? For your own safety, you should not know. But what if the Volturi came and killed you, like in Twilight, for knowing about the lore of vampires? Ty, that's, that shocked me. I really thought you'd have a different reaction. You guys always surprise me. Mila, what would be your response? Um, I'm thinking about like one of my friends from school, who I lived with for like seven years. I feel like I wouldn't care. They could do anything and I'd be like, it's all right, anything. babe, got your back. Ride or die. Ride or die, I'd have yeah. to know if they're the kind of vampire who needs to kill in order to feed. Because if I find out that you, like, you can hypnotize people and you only take a little bit, I'm totally okay with that. But, like, as if, if, <laughs> totally. you, if you're killing people and unnecessarily, like, you don't need to drain somebody and you've been killing people, then I would feel like, I don't really know you. Like, who is this? I feel like I wouldn't have been mad at Juliet for needing to make her first kill, even if I was her friend. I wouldn't feel betrayed if she came in and said, yeah, I had to kill someone to make my first kill. What if it was your, somebody you're dating, not your friend, like your romantic interest? Would that change anything? I think anything? that would scare me more. I'd have to break up, because what if you bit me? Yeah. yeah. And I don't want to turn, and I don't want to commit to that. I don't want to commit to I it. love how the problem is commitment for you guys. Juliet's parents had for each other was, like, very sweet and sincere. Her turning the day because he got sick was... That was all very cute and romantic. But I myself, I'm not sure that I would be cool with the ideal of being turned. I feel like it would be a lot. And I would also have to worry about... Like, as Juliet is able to control herself a bit more and the other legacy vampires, as, like, a baby vampire, I would be concerned about would I be able to control myself or would I accidentally hurt someone that I genuinely care about? You know how it, like, heightens your personalities? What do we think each other will be like as baby vampires? Louisa would be hypnotizing everyone <laughs> to be in love. You'd be glamouring everyone to love you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I think I would immediately get caught. I would immediately expose myself. I would be so hungry. I'd like go out and feed like in the middle of the daytime and get like <laughs> everyone's camera phones out. Like I, <laughs> I don't think it would take long. <laughs> Ty, what would you be like? I don't know. I don't see you attacking Ty anyone. I is living for millennia. I actually think you're joining like whatever Volturi like institution there is. I'm so happy for your confidence in me. I just think you're calm. Like, I don't see you impulsively doing something, whereas I see, like, the rest of us impulsively. No, Mila, being a Taurus, I think you would drain somebody immediately. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, I don't have impulse control, especially when it comes to food. Can we talk about the song? Because I did a lot of research into the song. It was written in 2012, which I think is very telling. Because it was very of that era, of that like YA, particularly zombies, because we are a little past vampires by 2012. We were into like the dystopian, what have you. And so the song is like about zombies. It's not about vampires at all, which is why it's just like, you know, a vague chorus over and over with the part that they use for the theme song. I was like, they surely they did not write this song for the show because it felt not 2022. And I'm so glad I was vindicated in that because that just shows that, I mean, there's tons of Twilight references, but I'm like, how bizarre is it that we're having 
a renaissance of something that happened like not like a decade ago. I guess a decade is a while, but it doesn't feel like long enough for us to have like a vintage theme song. I mean, but the Gen Z kids on TikTok were saying they want to dress like the Vampire Diaries and that was not a decade ago. That's true. The trends are so quick. I was brought back to my 2012 self or even younger than that is when I was into these kinds of you know, these kinds of stories. They're for teenagers. I wasn't, I was a teenager, but I was like a preteen also. I feel like when I was like into, I'm just gonna call it like mythological creature romance genre, like immediately brought me back there. I do like the themes. I hated it immediately. And then after like episode three, I was like, oh, it's my jam. It's on. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I kind of skipped it. I kind of skipped it. I listened to it the first time and then I skipped it every other time. What I did like actually was the comics. Like I like the comic book kind of intro more so than the music. I thought that was quite fun. I like that they actually did an intro. I feel like a lot of shows just kind of like they'll show the credits while they're already rolling a scene. Play like maybe 15 seconds of music and that's it. Like I miss the true traditional theme song. Or like you get like three to five minutes of an episode, then boom, you have like a 30, 45 second theme song. The characters are not doing anything in like terms of the show, just like random clips with some nice beats. I like the beat. beat. Yeah, that's what I did. One thing I like about Succession is I can always look forward to my Nicholas Fratell theme song. Boomin. Boomin like boomin. It do be boomin. They play the theme song all the time though like it's just the score of the show like you don't even have to wait till the credits i love that you can fit succession and you really fit it in a lot seeing as this is not like a general drama or whatever podcast it's a horror and you fit in succession so often but yeah no i totally agree i think yeah i like the comic book theme i think the intro in terms of other shows the intros it is giving like chilling adventures of sabrina which is interesting because i'd place it like really alongside that kind of comic booky kind of style i was gonna ask like everyone's general opinions i actually really like the show i think it was cute for what it was supposed to be i did not go into this expecting succession or anything like that i went into this expecting like a fun little romance show for teens i think it did just that just like Heartstopper. like i was not expecting an emmy winning performance i was expecting a cute teen show some nice soundtrack moments this one could have had a better soundtrack i will say that some of the stuff i was just like this is giving riverdale overall i thought it was cute there they had nice chemistry the romance was there even in the situation where they played spin the bottle at the party there was never a pressure like no one was hooting hollering for them to kiss none of the dudes were taking out their phone they're like oh two girls are going to the closet none of that happened everything was just very normal reactions their parents they didn't add like parents being homophobic to the storyline we got some just like cute fun family moments the supernatural stuff was fine i mean the special effects could have been better when they beheaded that creature in the house and the head was rolling i literally started laughing (laughs) I think Netflix gave them like $5 to make this show and they made a cute show. So job was done. I liked it. I wouldn't go so far to say I enjoyed it. However, I'm really happy that other people are enjoying it because it is cute. I love the chemistry between them. For me to like watch all eight episodes of it was a struggle just because it wasn't like, it wasn't for me. But again, I can appreciate that it is cute and fun and entertaining to the demographic that it was made for. And it's also, like Ty said, not male gazy, 
there isn't a lot of tension around them being queer. The tension is where it should be with like the monsters and the morality where I think other shows always have to include that like queer struggle, which obviously it's realistic. It's a good example of a show that's like, it seems almost like it's incidentally queer rather than like they've like shoehorned it in. And I, I love that. I'm, I'm happy that people get to enjoy it. I've read a few books of the author of the short story, which in general I have to say much higher quality than the show overall. I liked it in the way that I like media that I loved when I was younger. Do you know what I mean? Like, here's the thing. Had I watched this as a young person, I'm still a young person, as a, uh, as a YA, as a targeted YA, and then rewatched it again at my big age, I think I would have loved it. And also I think myself like, pre coming out or like in a questioning time or like whatever to have something that would where it was so normal the like to be queer and it's not even the plot of the story because I feel like a lot of the times like the stuff that came out when I was like 13 14 15 there was queer representation but they beat you over the head with it and it was always a fucking problem for that character and it did not incentivize coming out it did not incentivize normalizing anything it did not make me want to date openly or pursue anybody it just made me want to like sit and read in my room and like have my own fantasies to myself and i think that's what like ya is like good for do you know what i mean like that was a period of my life where i was reading the most like i was like cranking through books and books and books a week and they were trash they were garbage they were bad for my development after twilight petered out there was this influx of like really awful, very straight vampire and other mythical creature fantasies that came out. I'm thinking like Vampire Academy. There were like all these weird like offshoot racist. Like they had their like queer moments, but they were definitely not like written by queer people. Like I consumed that stuff like, and no one was gonna tell me not to buy books, right? Like my parents weren't gonna say stop reading. They didn't know what the fuck I was reading. And then like, I think about all the things that I consumed that were just like, yes, badly written, but also like not good for my development that were like, I think aimed at the same audience that this is aimed at. It would have done me good to have something that was like, not necessarily like high literary or like a super fantastic television show or like Emmy award winning or Oscar award winning, whatever, something that was targeted towards me. Like it was fantasy beyond fantasy. Like even their just regular relationships were like impossible and strange. And like to a certain extent, this is true. Like star-crossed lovers thing is like, no, you probably shouldn't be dating each other. Like me as a grown person, if I was y'all's parent in, in this show, I'd be like, what are you stupid? You just met this girl like two weeks ago. But it's also like the nature of the genre is that they fall in love immediately and it doesn't make any fucking sense and they probably shouldn't be together. Like all of that, I can excuse that. But with that in mind, like watching this at my big age, raw, no nostalgia involved, I think it like, it did a, it did a bit of healing for my like younger self. It's definitely not for me, like Mila said, like, but I think that's just because I'm not gonna get swept up in the romance of it in the way that I would when I was younger. And I'm on the side of the parents. That's bonkers and new for me, but like. I was gonna say, uh, I saw this show and I tried to watch the summer I turned pretty, as you guys know from our group chat, around the same time. And this to me was a pretty easy watch. Yeah, the budget was much lower than the show, The Summer I Turned Pretty, but Netflix and Amazon have different budgets for the teen shows anyway. But The Summer I Turned Pretty, my issue watching that show was like, 
14, 15 year old me would have ate that up. I totally agree with what you were saying, Zeba. The media that I consumed as a teen was so toxic and stuff. When I got out of like the, the vampire phase, I was very much in like the Wattpaddy phase of like the guy who has anger problems that he like only can be, that he can only be solved with this one girl. And like that type of like novel type thing was more of what I ended up reading just because like that's where all my friends were reading. So I read that type of stuff too. And then when I was like listening to bands and stuff and reading fan fiction they would always like personify the people in that same coded way of being okay with them doing all of these bizarre things they have anger problems or like they treat you really mean sometimes and when I was watching the summer I turned pretty I was like this is not nostalgic in a good way this is nostalgic in a way I'm like I really hope people do not watch this and like think this is a normal way for people to behave like at one point the dudes like go on her first date to watch her or whatever and she gets reasonably upset and they like kind of apologize later but it's still just like this really weird bizarre jealousy relationship back and forth and I know a lot of people read that book when they were younger so the show probably has nostalgia but it was like seeing those tropes that I wrote when I was younger and realized as an adult were so problematic on screen wasn't nostalgic for me it was just like ugh like here we go again with like this kissing booth type Wattpad drama and I actually really like the writer who wrote those I think to all the boys I loved before was a better like book series and I don't think she's a bad writer but it was just seeing those tropes on TV for me I couldn't even finish that show I got to episode two and I was like I'm out but I was able to finish first kill because I felt like they didn't lean on those anytime Juliet or Cal did something that upset the other person they would either talk about it or have like a, an actual conflict it wasn't like one person was completely submitting all of their feelings to make the relationship work and one person wasn't like taking the bulk of like these emotional beatings from someone or irrationally jealous or anything like that. It felt I mean, very it's balanced. a little bit different when they're both women though, because the power dynamic is absent. Like the, like the thing, it, it doesn't even allow for that moment to happen. Like it, like not only is, for example, like Edward a vampire, but he's a man. Like, I don't know, to me, that's like relevant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you so often have the age, right? The age. I mean, there's race in here, but let's, we'll, we'll dive into the race. <laughs> mm, yeah, well, we can talk. It's a point. It's a point that I have to talk about it. I was gonna circle back to Zeba's point about, um, well, two things. First, you said something about, like, having the positive kind of queer representation of it and how... I think there was someone who said something really similar in a review. It was, like, Chloe Smith for Digital Spy. And they are basically, like... Not all queer shows have to be incredible show-stopping, award-winning pieces of media. And they, they're saying, like, there's a place for all the it's a sins of the world, but, like, sometimes we just want something cheesy like straight people have had with Vampire Diaries. And I thought that was, like, a good assessment of this because that's kind of how I felt about it. And then in terms of, like, what I... how I received it, I completely agree with you, Zeba, in that I watched it and I was like, it's not for me. I would probably watch this when I was, like, 12 and 13 so I was trying to watch it with like that kind of lens and I was like yeah I think I actually would have like when I think about the media I did consume like Degrassi infinitely more problematic by the way and Pretty Little Liars also a little bit problematic at times well most of the time and they were also key thing to know is like most of these like shows were quite cringe because that was the problem like with I was watching I was like well it's really cringy but then I was like but I consumed media exactly like this and this is like you said Zeba and Ty like a way healthier message like in terms of like its depiction of the relationship and it's like a nice incidental queer relationship so it's good representation in that way so I was like yeah I think I would have actually really enjoyed this show I kind of wish I had it back then but 
because I didn't, it's like hard to watch it because I don't have that nostalgia factor. But I imagined, similar to you, Zeba, that if I had watched it when I was that age and I was watching it again, I would have like been obsessed. So my main thing was that it's very cringe and a lot of like other reviews and stuff were quite negative that I was seeing like online. Not on social media, it's had very positive social media reception. In the first three days, it was watched globally for 30 million hours. Casey Moore reported that. Rotten Tomatoes has 58 critical, but the 90 audience score. So it kind of, I think that kind of encapsulates the vibe of the show anyway. But yeah, so my thing was like, it's very cringy. And I was like trying to think about like how I don't care that it's cringy. And I had a three point defense of the cringe. One being that I think it is very much referencing, obviously, Buffy. And like Buffy is inherently camp and cringe. So like I kind of respected it. Like I think people who were like, it's cringe. I was like, kind of missed the point though. Cause I think a lot of that's deliberate. Like I think it's like deliberate cheese to like pay homage to that kind of weird comic book style. Also because it alluded to Twilight and I had a similar jarring experience of you guys, where I, you and Zeba and Taya, where it was like, this is too soon to allude to Twilight. Like that wasn't that long ago. Like Buffy felt like familiar to see an intertextual reference, but Twilight jarred me. So I was like, whoa. But like, I think like Twilight's cringe and Buffy's cringe. So obviously it's gonna be cringe because it's emulating those two. That was point one. Point two, as we've all discussed, is that I think the target demo is way younger and I don't think it's out of place alongside those like YA things. And then my third point was a bit more of a political point in that I think that people are like, the people who are critical of the show, I think they, as a culture, we are so like disproportionately critical of sapphic media than we are when it's like media centering around a white, usually gay male storyline in terms of like what we consume. Cause Love, Simon, and Heartstopper, to me, are, like, equally cringe as this show. Like, I straight up was cringing the whole time through Heartstopper. And that's not to say that it's not, like, great representation and it's not high-quality show and good acting and stuff. Like, I actually, I'm glad the show exists and stuff. But, like, is it cringy? Yeah, absolutely. But, like, everyone's always been, like, really positive on how they talk about Heartstopper and they're not really giving the same energy. And I know that Heartstopper has a different, more generous budget and that's going to, like, contribute to its, like, praise and, like, the quality of stuff. But I think that people are just generally more harsh on like queer media. Like when I think of like, I am not okay with this, another kind of like YA type romance got canceled after the first season. My TED talk is honestly gonna be this show. I think people are so like harsh against like uh, lesbian media. And I was happy to see that Jess Joho for Mashable also kind of pointed out this exact same point. How like gay male storylines get like unanimous critical praise like right away just for even existing kind of thing. And I was then thinking kind of, why are we harsher like on lesbian media? Like, cause I think even me too, I was like, oh, it's a bit cringe. But then I was like, okay, but it's for a specific YA demographic and it's no less cringe than Heartstopper, which is like award winning in sales and stuff. So I was thinking like, my theory might be that I think people like expect lesbian media because of like how so often we have been portrayed historically to be hypersexualized and serious. Because most of our media, I think at the minute, is either like porn hypersexualized or it is like a really dramatic period drama. I'm not trying to say I don't like those movies, but like, or it's both because a lot of those movies have graphic sex scenes anyway. So I was like, and this is the way we usually consume it, but we don't often like see like a young, like childhood te- or teenage rather playful version of that. So people like, oh, this is cringe and they're just harsher towards it. And I kind of was looking at some of the reviews of it and like someone named Tara Bennett for IGN said like the show's like 
kind of a welcome space for representation. But they said outside of this is a quote, outside of the steamy pilot, the couple is relegated to mostly soapy scenarios that don't get very explicit. In fact, the pair are often reduced to looking at one another from afar while a relentless playlist of pop songs plays very loudly throughout the episode. And then that is someone... how high school is, though. You hook up yeah. once every two and a half years and the rest of it is like <laughs> looking at somebody across the room. Well, exactly. And then Brian Lowry for CNN also said there is some chemistry between the leads, although every time the relationship seems to be heating up, something absurd happens to break the spell. And I was like, OK, I do think that people are being harsher about this chemistry because they're expecting like I don't want to see too romance. much steamy between children. This is a YA. It was steamy enough for a YA. I think it pushed the boundaries of steaminess for YA, actually. They were playing that slumber party song. I was like, oh no. Oh, oh no. yeah. Because <laughs> there was a lot of comments in the chemistry, and I really think that some of it, maybe I'm not trying to accuse these critics of being like sexist or whatever, but I think there's an unconscious bias against lesbian media expecting it to be serious and steamy and sexual and this is not that i mean it is steamy but it's like aged down and it's like playful and cringe and a bit needed to be aged down thank god yeah so that was my main defense of the show is that i think people are unfairly judging it and they don't put the same energy or critical energy against heartstopper or love simon not that they should i'm saying it all should exist there's a place for all of this media to exist i agree with all of your points But in terms of the defense of cringe and cheese, I feel like the cheese doesn't exist on equal footing across these shows. There are some like cultural differences. I think the cringe in Heartstopper is very authentic to English people. However, with shows like Vampire Diaries and- No one acts like that. First Kill, I feel like they're sort of over-polished, that sort of CW effect, and they're all a bit too sexy. Not saying that First Kill is over-sexualizing, but it has this polish. When I was younger, obviously I was like way more receptive to that because I was kind of obsessed with like American media. Now watching, I think, First Kill in that same style, that is a lot the reason why like it didn't connect with me. But also, I'm more inclined to back, I'm not okay with this as sort of like injustice towards lesbian narratives, like compared to Heartstopper. I don't think First Kill, I don't think it's like equal to the cheesiness and the cringiness of Buffy, because I think the quality is just not comparable. And that's fine. And and maybe that's the snobby thing to say. I don't think they should be on the same level. I just don't think they should be. I don't want to put them on the same level, because I don't think that I am not okay with this. I wouldn't have called that trashy. Whereas Jess Joho for Mashable called this like trashy, but like we love it kind of thing. That was their review. Unfortunately, it gets lost in that like gray area of not being camp enough, but not being serious enough when it gets quite dark. And I think if they get a season two, which I hope they do, they need to like work out a little bit of the tone. Also the special effects, I agree with Ty. Yeah. This show is totally salvageable on that front. I think the chemistry is great. The story is like engaging enough. Lesbian stories are not given the same allowances for the standards they hold them up against. It's the same like with reading. People are way more willing to read men fall in love and not women. Yeah. I'm inclined to believe that some of this is also just because a lot of men hate women. I'm inclined to believe in misogyny myself. <laughs> Some of the reason that people are innately hard on this is just because men hate women. I really think that's part of it. And so when something is not explicit... I didn't even go that strong. I was like tiptoeing around that point that whole time and then you just came and said it. I think when a, a piece of media is not explicitly made for men or to 
make men feel better not saying that Heartstopper is made for men because I thought Heart Heartstopper was a cute show and I actually really enjoyed it but it was definitely made for like younger men to feel like comforted by their sexuality but they also did have like the trans storyline with Elle and, and Tao and all of that so there were a lot of things wrapped together they had the two girls and everything but when something is explicitly made for women and also when a black woman is the main character I feel like things tend to get a lot more negative reviews and people tend to get a lot more critical with what they think is acceptable because I think those two things together made by women on a low budget people start immediately throwing around the word trashy and to be quite honest <laughs> romance is kind of cringe I should say that um that reviewer was actually given a positive review that they were like talking about it in the sense that like it has like a low budget and there are problems and they were, it's a good actually actually a good article I wouldn't give I wouldn't say that they're problematic for using trashy like some of the other reviews I saw like a reality TV show that is like has a, a cast of predominantly women or women with strong personalities is going to get called trashy versus you could have like a show all about guys like fucking entourage and people will still act like the show was not trashy that's true yeah, like yeah. think people are a lot more comfortable with like using shows about women made by women for women the labels trashy dramatic low budget classless all of that type of stuff is very much more synonymously used with female media or that it's like our guilty pleasure watching a lot of the time oh yeah I don't necessarily always want to be a part of other people's relationships and sometimes watching it play out is really awkward and cringe to watch on screen. So to some extent I feel like all romantic media is going to have an underlying layer of cringe. Like some of it is like a satisfactory level of ooey gooeyness that feels like eating a cinnamon roll and some of it is excessive and you feel a little bit sick. (laughs) I think also because in that point combined with the fact that it's YA means that it's destined to be a bit cringe. As your adult different types of like ooey gooey stuff is acceptable this was like a very sweet cookie sundae with way too much hot fudge then like caramel sauce then like sprinkles and stuff and like that together isn't bad but it is not necessarily for my current palate i will say i'm gonna give the actors a little bit of credit for dialogue that i think would be like just sink to the floor like a rock in the ocean with other actors like writing how teens speak and also writing about like social media and like those types of things in 2022 are always cringe i don't even know why because we literally do say those words and we do make references to social media and we do like literally quote tiktoks aloud like we are cringe as a species but when i see it on tv for some reason i'm like ew nobody talks like that but we do like when someone's like, like lol and i'm like ew i can't believe they said that but i say lol all the time like unironically <laughs> I think these actors, I will say, I'm gonna give them a little extra credit than other shows. There were certain lines that I'm like, that felt natural. That felt more natural than I've seen on other things. So kudos to them. Cause that's something with like media I'm nostalgic about would never make references to memes or like, <laughs> or just like use slang that I that I don't use. Like I, I appreciated that, especially with like AVE. Like that's so delicate that y'all can, y'all could sound goofy as hell. They did sound goofy a lot of the time, but sometimes I was like, yeah, okay. That was pretty close. I like that they use Savannah as a setting for this show because I think Savannah's the most haunted city in America. It has a lot of history. Yeah, it worked. It, it landed really well. I think the city was very intentional. I like that they had different dynamics with their parents. Like what Juliet said to her mom on the phone versus what Cal said to her mom was very different because black mirrors were not going to let you talk to them any type of way. So I did like that they, they did that. They were all so rich. That was fun too. I think that's fun. I think it's fun when they have big fancy houses. 
I don't know how much the guild was paying, but apparently they pay well. You risk your life for that job. I guess there's jobs that you risk your life for here and they pay fucking nothing. I just think they did the family dynamics well. I didn't like Juliet's parents' relationship with her brother. I was struggling to understand how like her entire family was acting like he did not exist. And they also seemed to be sort of aware that her sister did it all. I love the sister. I thought she was a very delicious character. I completely agree with you in the sense that um, I think some of their family dynamics like could have definitely been explained a bit better and given some more backstory because Oliver at the very end is revealed to like have this huge revenge plot and like he's been releasing the monsters the whole time. Traumatized by a turtle. But it doesn't actually tell you why he hates his family that much aside from the fact that they outcast him. Well, you do find out at the end. No, no, no. I know why, but I'm just saying that was a very like blanket Seeing as that's such a turning point that he's like has this big betrayal point, I'd want a little bit more like because it wasn't compelling enough of a reason for them to a outcast him and him to b hate them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. It didn't seem like it's fleshed out as it should have been. It is a matriarchal family and like society, the vampires in this show at least. I think maybe he was always a little bit disposable, like the son from Hereditary. He he served his purpose. Um and when it seemed that he was out of line and he was risking the fall of the entire matriarchal empire, then he had to go to Rog and no one wanted to talk to him. He was no longer a part of the family. Versus they were a lot more forgiving to Juliet's sister because she actually was in the bloodline and was going to become the keeper of Malkia. That made a bit more sense. And I think maybe he was envious of that as well. It's not, I feel like, I don't know. I didn't hate her brother, but his storyline to me did feel a bit like he was perhaps envious of the fact that the power was going to go to his sister and he would do anything to change that. He didn't even necessarily ever express the fact that he wished Juliet would be the next keeper of Malkia instead of their sister, whose name I cannot remember at this point in time. Eleanor. He just wanted uh, absolute revenge, even if it meant destroying the entire line. And in that sense, he's giving very much white man. He said, I will take down every single person because I didn't get what I want. Because at this point, he was, he's risking multiple people dying for a re- weird revenge plot on his family. Like, surely there's something else you could do. I felt like once he t- turned the sister into the FBI and she, he was like, our parents aren't going to bail you out because you're not that important in the grand scheme of things to their reputation and like you're probably going to prison. I felt like that was enough of a, re- of a revenge plot than him like unleashing monsters on the entire town where they were going to kill humans. One dude got his spine ripped out <laughs> um, at the school and... So at that point, I was just kind of like, I mean, they did show it at the end. So I didn't dislike the brother until the very end. And I was like, well, I mean, Eleanor wasn't the most incorrect. Uh, In a way, he is crazy because he's risking. Yeah, he's homicidal either way. Like he's letting all of these monsters out to kill people, to get revenge on his family and take down all of monsters because his family betrayed him and he felt like they didn't stand up for him enough. It's a giving crazy. I don't think they thought when that went through, especially because I guess they want us to think since he took in Cal's brother, who was a vampire turned by Juliet, like he was a good guy. But I'm like, how is he a good guy? He's literally willing to risk people as like collateral damage in a weird, bizarre revenge plot that I'm not sure how it would actually get. It's for his turtle. <laughs> what are you on about his turtle? I don't know what you're talking Oh, because she killed his turtle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. 
yeah, I think he's the villain over Eleanor. Eleanor's very much giving me Jennifer from Jennifer's body. I'm not killing people, I'm killing boys. And I'm like, true. So, like, I allowed it. <laughs> it's just like, you're psycho, whatever. How do we feel about this vampire lore? Like, the powers that they had, what they seem to be able to do, like, the, their inner legacies and their circles of power. I feel like they were forgetting the vampire's powers at some point in the show. Because when they're in the cafeteria with Zombie Smashley, Juliet was terrified and Cal was like, I got you, I'm going to protect you. And I was like, can she not? I thought she can't die. She can be hurt though. I was like, certainly Cal can be killed by a zombie and you can't. Why are you scared? Yeah. I mean, I guess they had to just sh- like trade off who has the power though. Cause like she killed the other guy to save Cal. And so Cal had to save her. What a lackluster first kill. I know that dude's blood was musty. I know it was. Yeah, yeah like it did it. look nasty. I guess that will be revealed why, but I was like, is he just taking her because he's like a pedo human trafficker? Or is he taking her because there's a plot afoot with the guild who want to like do something? I mean, it seems as though the guild didn't like care about their hunters at all since that girl's parents got killed. I think they'll go into like the deeper plot and there's something sinister happening within the guild. But I wish there's again a little bit more because I was like, is this guy just a creep or is he, is he like trying to, I don't know. The whole like like Lilith connection to Lilith thing I thought was interesting. Again, very True Blood of them. Um, I need to watch True Blood. In summary, I need to watch True Blood. I wondered. I don't know if y'all know, and I did not look this up, but like why Lilith is invoked in so many vampire myths. I think it might be a cannibalism kind of link because in some she was like so salty about being cast out of Eden that she killed her children or ate all her children or something like that so maybe there's something to do with that what a great mon femme lilith is as well the serpent thing is kind of interesting and i kind of like that it implies that like the natural counter to that story is a matriarchy that christianity is a patriarchy and if there was to be an opposite of it or a counter to it it would have to be a matriarchy i think one of the reasons why they choose Lilith is because I think she was also the first wife of Adam. She wouldn't listen to him and so when they remade Eve, Eve came from his ribs so she was like a part of him and more subservient and so when people make female media and they want to make like a matriarchy or something against the patriarchy I think they immediately turn to like the lore of Lilith because it makes more sense than like not being submissive or a part of the patriarchy. Unfortunate that it's always satanic you know what I mean? Like how cool would it be if Lilith was just like her own figure and that it always is like that's such binary like god satan that like good evil thing you know i wanted to talk a little bit about their chemistry a bit more because some people were kind of negative about it there was caroline Frank variety they said it was like complete lack of chemistry their dynamic is stilted it's awkward or something they said something about um It was hashtag representation and it became a collection of cliches or buzzwords for a network trying to thrive on brownie points. It's kind of one of those reviews I read and I don't want people to out themselves, but I'm like, "Mm, what's your perspective? Like, what's your relationship to queerness to be able to say that though? Because the queer people I know who have consumed it enjoy it. So why are you saying it's like, it's going for brownie points. It's coming off as conservative. (laughs) It's twofold. It's twofold. Here's, here's the, here's the one fold is that you are used to seeing lesbian relationships from the male gaze one. So when this is unfamiliar to you, you say it's not chemistry. That's step one. Step two, 
I think y'all are not used to seeing a black woman and a white woman together. Genuinely, genuinely, I think it's unfamiliar to a lot of y'all and you can't wrap your head around why one would be attracted to the other or vice versa. I think that is another like big part of it. And like, we're so used to like black men and white women being attracted to each other or even like, even rarely is it a white man and a black woman, like, but we've seen a, that a little bit more. But as far as like in the queer world, we've seen black men and white men be together. That's my twofold whatever. I think people are just outing themselves that y'all are not really about it. You aren't in like queer worlds and queer scenes. You're not used to seeing a relationship like this and your brain is translating it as like these actors don't have chemistry. The other thing is their age. It's awkward, right? They're like young. It's normal that it not be, that they not be so practiced that they are fumbling. I think that is very authentic. I think that is very true to their age. And I wanna make another point about age is that I very rarely see sapphic relationships that are that young. I think that is because the narrative is so often that women that get older are so sick of men that they become lesbians. That is not motivation for me. I think it is very brilliant that they, that these two were never questioning. They knew, I mean, she sort of had that relationship with her best friend, but like they knew from very young age what they wanted. And that was not part of the plot at all as I'm trying to figure it out. They know that they have a crush on each other and that's the end of it. They barely even like come out. Like it's just like slips out or like their parents are like, that's not even a part of it. Even if I don't think it's like hot and sexy, I shouldn't. They're teenagers and that's the end of that. <laughs> I mean, this like fucking agenda against wokeness, regardless whether Netflix exploits that. I think that because this show handles it so well, in terms of the queerness at least, then it's not an issue. It's not like other shows where they've like hired on a lot of like diverse casts and then we've seen how like behind the scenes, on screen, they've handled it terribly. It's been damaging, blah, blah, blah. So in that regard, I couldn't give a shit. It doesn't come across as point scoring in the same way that I've seen a lot of like overly woke language thrown, like shoehorned into a script for the hell of it, you know, like with some of the horrors that we've talked about. Sex education got this same critique and Bridgerton did. When Bridgerton season two first came out, there were people on Twitter saying that Kate and Anthony didn't have chemistry and they had no problem seeing Simon and Daphne's chemistry. Wonder why. And then the same thing happened with sex education when they added the character Cal. A lot of people were saying they were just trying to score woke points and that the character didn't actually fit in the show. And I feel like this does not happen on shows where there are two white characters who are both queer. Like as soon as you add a person of color into the mix, people immediately go with that. Oh, they're just trying to score woke points. And I've never seen a person be two things, they say. Impossible. I think that exposes, as you guys were saying, I think it just exposes that in that person's mind, they must view people of color as only tick points. Maybe that is how you use people of color in your life as ways to show you're not racist. Or maybe that is how you use queer people in your life to say you're an ally. Or the queer communities that you're around aren't very diverse. Like if you, if you think it's bonkers that there's rooms where everyone is of color and trans, then you're not out in the world because there are plenty of rooms where everybody in the room is multiple things. The intersectionalities cross over each other. And it's just because you've never been in those spaces doesn't mean they were made up for woke points. That's just how community works. I don't know what to tell y'all. That was like a unanimous takedown of that. <laughs> I knew that quote didn't sit right with me, but I didn't expect that to be like as <laughs> incendiary as it was for that Zaber, conversation. Zeba, twofold point. <laughs> yeah, what you said, Zeba, about um, 
that they're young and also we see a more like fumbling romance, something that's not like overly sexualized. I think that that particularly is something we don't get. Like you said, Louisa, about the like period pieces, we get like quite mature yearning, but we don't get that fumbling young teenage romance between two girls. And I think that that is why so many people don't realize they can have romantic feeling towards girls when that age is because they're like, it's easy to sexualize them, but romance is something that you don't see on screen, which I think is a huge part of how you learn how to like people. But I think it's so important to have those kinds of rom-coms, those romantic narratives of different sexualities, different genders, because I think seeing different romances play out really does teach you yourself how you might feel because romance is cultural so I think it's just something that you learn I think there's also that sort of argument well why I think a lot of bi women feel insecure about the fact they maybe lean more towards men in terms of dating and romance if that's you then that's totally fine but sometimes it's also that you just didn't learn how to like be romantic with women I really liked like their kind of intimate scene representation. I love how it was done. I think I wish I'd seen that when I was younger because I remember always thinking like, how would I initiate with a girl? How do you even (laughs) initiate? Because I was like, we have so many models of media where like straight romances and it's like, you know how to initiate a kiss with a guy. Like I just know. There's like certain social cues that you could just do and you got it. But like there's not the same. There's so much online information. As well. I loved this because it kind of showed exactly how, right down to like the you know, hands and jeans and whatnot, exactly how you would initiate intimacy with women. So I was like, damn, I really wish I had that when I was younger. I think I would have realized some things. Realize, realize, realize. I think it would have been great. Thank you for listening to The Monstrous Feminine. Be sure to follow us on Instagram, SoundCloud, and Spotify at The Monstrous Feminine Podcast, and on Twitter at The Mon Femme Pod. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and follow us on TikTok at The Monstrous Feminine Pod. Brooms up, which is out.